morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Nigel. Uh, if you do have your Bible still with you, uh, still open, at Acts chapter 11, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up from where Gordon left off two weeks ago as we reconnect with this great story of Cornelius and Peter. I, I do love this story. I kind of love its knock-on effect and its implications. We read the actual story in, in Acts chapter 10, and then as we've just heard, Peter explains the story in Acts chapter 11, and then a whole bunch of others discuss the story in Acts chapter 15. We are, as Nigel has said, going to cover quite a bit of ground in these next sort of 20, 25 minutes. But the big headline is this, church is far more inclusive than many people imagine. Church is far more inclusive than many people imagine. And who's in or who belongs is sometimes surprising. And what determines who's in is simple. Maybe too simple. We've called this series Up, In, and Out. And we've kind of been thinking of our relationships in those three directions. Our relationship with God, the up dimension. Our relationships with each other in here, the in dimension. And then our relationships with those who are beyond these walls, the out dimension. And we're using the book of Acts, which tells the story of how, how the early church worshipped God how they lived with each other, and how they connected with and reached out to those who were not yet Christians. And what you very quickly discover as you read through Acts is that all kinds of people from all kinds of diverse backgrounds and walks of life are being reached and are being welcomed into this dynamic new kingdom community, the church. The beginning of chapter 8, Samaritans, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as they're sometimes described, they were joining in. End of chapter 8, an Ethiopian eunuch believes and comes on board. In chapter 9, a Jesus persecutor sees the light. The circle keeps widening, and that begins to disturb comfort zones. It starts to shake prejudices. And in chapter 10, this circle widens even further, because it seems, and this, this really sent heads spinning and kind of blood pressure raising, Gentiles are potentially in. Or, or as Nigel read for us a moment ago, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So then even to blank. You, you fill in the blank. So then even to God has granted repentance unto life. Quick recap on Cornelius, the centurion from Caesarea. See, for some people, his name 
his occupation and where he's from already had him blacklisted, judged, boxed. He's clearly a Gentile. That is a Roman family name, Cornelius. He works for the enemy, centurion. And he comes from an area that was hated by the Jews, Caesarea. Those three facts alone made up or certainly heavily influenced some people's minds and attitude. And it's interesting how a name, a job, and a postcode can still say enough to some people in our culture and context. You're definitely out based on those three facts before there's any chance of you being in. But there's more to Cornelius. Gordon looked at this two weeks ago. He was a God-fearing man. He was also generous, it says, to those who were in need. Plus, he prays. And he receives a vision. Around the same time, Peter, the apostle, also receives a vision. That in itself is fascinating to me. Do you know something? God gives visions to those who are in and those who are not yet in. Even today, you read about people from all around the world who come to faith, who begin a journey to Jesus as a result of a God-given dream or vision. None of us has a monopoly on God. Peter's rooftop vision is basically about food. It's specifically about food that's clean and unclean. It's a bizarre, challenging vision. And it finishes whenever three men show up at Peter's door in Joppa. And the Holy Spirit then says to Peter, go with these three men. Peter goes this, with these three men and they lead him to Cornelius. And as Peter meets this Roman centurion, he says this. This is verse 28 of chapter 10. Peter says to Cornelius, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or to visit them. See, the barriers between these two people groups were set. They were clear. They were big. Peter continues, but God has shown me, this, this, I find this fascinating. God has shown me that I should not call anyone, not just any food. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. <laughs> do you ever do that? Do we? This seismic shift in Peter's thinking is incredibly significant. The way he thought about, the way he viewed people, people who were different from him, was being radically overhauled. The typical Jewish distinctions that he had come to accept that separated people were being dismantled before his very eyes. They were being rendered void. And to follow up this startling statement in verse 28, we come to a core phrase that reveals the fundamental nature of God's character that we must never forget, we must never distort, we must never miss this. Where Peter says, I now realize 
how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And wrapped up in that statement, wrapped up in that phrase from Peter, is an attitude of repentance. There's a sense here of confession and humility. I now realize that clearly implies that he once held an alternative perspective. He used to believe that God did show favoritism, but not anymore. Peter accepts and repents of past prejudices. And therefore, in terms of a conversion experience, and Gordon drew this point out, in terms of a conversion experience, it's not only Cornelius whose life is dramatically changed in Acts 10. And after this stunning discovery, Peter then declares, as Nigel's been reminding us this morning, God accepts everyone. Now, not full stop. There's no hint here of universalism. But everyone from every nation who fears God and does what is right. Faith and action. Belief and behavior. Head, heart, hands. All have got to be involved. And Peter goes on, because as ever, it's all about Jesus. And so in verse 36, Peter explains how God's message contained, we're still here in chapter 10, how God's message contained the good news of peace or reconciliation or salvation, depending on your, your, your version. That God's message contained the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And although he begins this by saying that this message was sent to the people of Israel, so you may say, well, hang on a minute, that sounds pretty exclusive. Look at how he finishes the sentence. End of verse 36, and this is revolutionary teaching. It was then, it still is. God's message of good news regarding peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And then here's what Peter says, who is Lord of all. Lord of all. This circle just keeps widening. Gentiles are included. Peter then goes on to summarize the ministry of Jesus. Talks about his baptism, talks about his anointing, talks about his actions, talks about his activity. Says, listen, God the Father was with him in everything he did. Talks about the cross, talks about the resurrection, talks about the great commission. And then finally he finishes this little bit by saying, you know something, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. And then he finishes by saying, everyone, this is so inclusive, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And at that moment, we read that as Peter is still speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on every single person crammed into that house, and everyone starts praising God. And the people who, who came with Peter, fellow Jews, they're shocked, they're stunned. 
And Peter's logic is simple. Verse 47 of chapter 10. Listen, they've just received the Holy Spirit as we did. And therefore, he wastes no time in baptizing them. See, as far as Peter's concerned, they're in. No longer out. No longer excluded. They're in. Just as much as we're in. Peter hangs around for a few days. Just enough time for the grapevine to kick in. Word filters back or through about events that have happened in Caesarea at this guy Cornelius' house. Turns out certain people are not happy. Those who up to now were, were kind of very clear about who's in and who wasn't. They're not amused. They prefer, as many people do, they prefer exclusive church. And so when Peter returns home from his visit, he gets it in the neck. And in response to the criticism, Peter explains, as Nigel read for us this morning, Peter just explains everything that happened up the road. And for now, his critics are silenced. Where they say, okay, we hear you, Peter. Even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance unto life. And for me, all of this, all of this story and its implications stand as a stark reminder the church is broader than we think. God shows no favoritism. Salvation is for everyone, not just a select group of insiders. The kingdom of heaven is open to all, and God accepts all who believe in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. All other distinctions and dividing lines disappear, or at least they become unimportant. And our calling, our explicit calling is to take the good news of Jesus to everyone, to lay aside any prejudice, any bigotry, any preconceived ideas, and to embrace those who God embraces. It's his church. It's never, it's not ours. But this discovery can be unsettling. And it can be unnerving. And it can be uncomfortable, and it was an axe because this unease or this disease flared up again, even though the critics had sort of embraced it and been silenced back in chapter 11. When we get to chapter 15, there are rumblings of discontent. People are uneasy about this idea that salvation is for everyone, that the Gentiles are included, that there is such a thing as inclusive church. People want to draw lines, people want to judge, people want to put boxes in place. People like labels. The issue of who's in and who's out didn't go away in Acts. It still doesn't. There were differing views and opinion on what it actually does mean to be part of the church, what it does mean to fully belong. And therefore, we read in Acts 15 about what is generally recognized as the first ever church council where a bunch of people get together and discuss and debate, okay, let, let's thrash this out. Let's once and for all determine and decide who is in and who should be accepted and under what conditions do we accept people. 
Because for some people, it was, it was incredibly clear that to be part of the church, you either had to be Jewish or willing to buy into certain Jewish customs and traditions. In other words, there are certain additional entry requirements. So if you look at the first verse of chapter 15, it's here on the screen, you read that there's a particular group, and they had come from Judea, from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching, and they were teaching quite forcibly that unless men, Gentile men, were also circumcised, unless that happened, they weren't genuinely saved. They weren't totally in. They didn't fully belong. So what we have is this kind of, we've looked at this before, Jesus plus mentality. 2,000 years later, this is still alive and well. Jesus plus. You can belong to Jesus, but you can't really belong here unless you do this. Whole bunch of extra terms and conditions. Sort of additional expectations. Not so much that you've got to fulfill, but, but condition, uh, additional expectations that, that people think, I'm not really going to fully embrace or reach out or grab hold of or welcome in until. And two millennia ago, this kind of narrow-minded, rigid thinking upset some people. And so it should. And Paul and Barnabas were among those who got annoyed. They weren't happy. They weren't impressed with this emphasis. And therefore, according to verse 2, you can look at it if you have chapter 15 open. According to verse 2, it says, Paul and Barnabas came into sharp dispute and debate with those who were peddling this requirement. And so they went, or rather they were sent, along with some local Christians from Antioch. They were sent to Jerusalem where this council meeting was happening. They were sent there to sort out this problem. And you read that en route, they, they stopped off at a couple of places and they shared stories of how Gentiles had been converted, how Gentiles had been met by God, how Gentiles had been changed by God. And some people were really encouraged by the stories that Paul and Barnabas shared. But in Jerusalem, there were some Christians, as I say, who weren't exactly sharing their enthusiasm. Their understanding of inclusive church came with these conditions that had to be attached. If you were going to become an integral part of this new dynamic community, if you were going to be part of the church, church, then listen, you also need to do this, and you also need to do this, and you also need to do this. Verse 5. And what happened then was, is, as people were having this debate and discussion, people started to get incredibly hot onto the collar, and so Peter stands up, and Peter speaks into the situation and into the confusion. And as a result of his encounter with Cornelius, Peter had experienced this paradigm shift in his thinking. As far as he was concerned, church wasn't just for particular people groups. It was truly inclusive. Anyone and everyone could be part of it. And therefore, as he gets to speak, 
or stands up to speak, he shares some critical words into a crucial moment. And we're going to read a few of those words from chapter 15. So if you have your Bible open at chapter 15, we're going to read from verses 7 to 11. We'll stand for the public reading of God's Word just for a little change of, uh, what's the word? Position, that's the word. Let's stand together. So here's Peter. And it says that after much discussion, so this debate is raging, who's in, who's not in, what's required and all of that, Peter gets up and he addresses them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel, that they should believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us, between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Take a seat. I'm nearly done. Now, wrapped up in what is a relatively short speech are a number of key comments regarding what it actually means to be part of the church. Peter identifies three things in here. Three things that clarify belonging. When these three things occur, as far as Peter's concerned, you're in. And here they are. Hearts purified, grace received, gospel believed. It, it is as simple as this. Hearts purified, grace received, gospel believed. Look at verse 9. Peter says, hey, that's God, makes no distinction, does not discriminate between us and them. Now, th this is our tendency to discriminate. We make distinctions based on things like race, background, education, occupation. The list goes on, but we, we tend to discriminate. But with God, those aren't the defining issues. For us, they can be. They're not the things that determine whether or not God welcomes people into his church. The issue for God is quite clearly the condition of your heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's the internal us. It's the real us, the real me, the real you, the real person that God is deeply interested in. Peter refers to the heart a couple of times in this speech. Verse 8, he says this, God knows the heart. In other words, God knows where every single one of us sitting here this morning is at. There is no hiding from God. He sees beyond the external. 
He sees what others can't, what others won't. God sees and knows the real you and me. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And in verse 9, after Peter makes the point that with God there is no distinction, he then says, for he purified their hearts. That's the defining issue. That, if you like, is the only distinction that really matters. This is what determines whether someone's in or not yet in. Jesus explicitly taught that it's out of the heart that all the wrong, dehumanizing thoughts, attitudes, actions, and behaviors spill out. And therefore, it's our hearts that need to be renewed. It's our hearts that need to be changed. It's our hearts that need to be transformed. It's our hearts that need to be purified. And a genuine, authentic Christian is someone who recognizes that the condition of the heart does matter. Who realizes that only God can bring about a change at that level. That only God can kind of press the refresh button. That only God can change the real me. As he did in the lives of these Gentiles. When Peter says, for he, God, has purified their hearts. To become part of the church. To reconnect with God. Simply. Involves a cleaning up cleansing of the heart. But, but how does that happen? How does this purification occur? Well, within Peter's many speech, we find the answers. Because he speaks of grace received, gospel believed. Words and phrases that are loaded with meaning. You see, some people in Jerusalem did have very clear external distinctions between us and them. Yes, you, you can come to church, but to be truly part of it, you need to sign up to all these extra requirements, to circumcision, to the law. And Peter says, why do you do that? It's just an unbearable yoke and burden that you're hanging around their necks. Doing those things doesn't prove anything doesn't save anyone. For Peter and for the rest of the New Testament, actually, it's all about grace received. Look at verse 11. No, says Peter, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we are saved just as they are. What Peter's saying here is, listen, salvation, it's a gift. It's a free, undeserved gift from God. You don't do anything to receive it. You can't add anything to it. And salvation is about being rescued from the fate that you would otherwise incur because of your sin. But through grace, which is entirely a God thing, you're rescued, you're saved from the power of sin and death, from your fate. 
And to become part of the church, to become a Christian, involves a recognition. Do you know something? I can do nothing. I can do nothing about the condition of this heart of mine. But because of God's incredible generosity, His amazing grace, our heart, my heart, your heart, because of God's grace, it can be changed. It can be purified. Grace received. But there's more to this because although grace is an amazing gift and salvation is a free, undeserved gift, one of the things we've got to realize, it comes at a price. There's a cost involved in this. Not to us, because that would just contradict everything I've just been saying. But this came at a cost to God. And to understand the cost and to know what's involved, here's what Peter says. You need to hear about Jesus. Not only to hear about Jesus, but to embrace it, to believe it. Look at verse 7. Because what he says, this, this is what it turns out is exactly as happened to the Gentile believers. They heard the message of the gospel and they believe. And if people today are going to come back to God and become part of his church and to discover salvation and rescue in a purified heart, then it simply comes by hearing the message of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's about how the one true God, the world's creator, loved this world so much that he gave a son who entered and lived an inspiring expression of true humanity, then laid down his life on a Roman executioner's device. Three days later, comes back to life, defeats the power of death and evil, and confirms that he really did come to launch this long-awaited kingdom, creating a new world order where everything is put to right, where people's lives are put to right, where all creation is put to right. And that good news of Jesus says, Peter, and says every New Testament writer, and says has said so many people down through the centuries, that good news about Jesus then invites a response. And the most appropriate response? Believe it. Believe it. It's not a matter of figuring it out in your head. It's a matter of realizing God loves, God offers you forgiveness. God offers to purify your heart. God offers to wipe the slate clean, give you a brand new start. He invites you into a restored relationship of mutual love, and he calls you to a life of discipleship, a life of following Jesus where you're formed, conformed, transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is what we're called to do. That's what everyone is invited into and to do. Heart purified, grace received, gospel believed in welcomed. No extra requirements. No additional entry requirements. And we believe this by faith. Not blind faith, but faith that comes through hearing the good news. So what does it mean to be part 
of the church and fully belong means these three things. That's what Peter stressed. And if you're here this morning, and if your heart's open to God, and you recognize your need of grace, you know you can't do anything to sort out the condition of in here by yourself. And if you want to hear more of the good news of Jesus, then I invite you to do a Cornelius. Inquire further. Discover more. And for those of us who are Christians, let's make sure we offer, embrace, and celebrate inclusive church. Let's make sure that this place, Windsor, is truly a church without walls. It's got porous borders where Jesus is at the center. That what we go on about, that what we declare passionately, enthusiastically is this. It's all about Jesus. And what God has done for us through Jesus as an act of grace And we are calling people to simply believe and follow Jesus. But there is another challenge. Are we going to take risks and share this message? Are we going to take risks like Peter and go to places where we're not meant to go and be with people we're not meant to be with? And love them and accept them and share Jesus with them. That, that's our challenge as a church as we move beyond these walls, as we move up the Lisburn Road.